This podcast was recorded on location at Scribblers Festival Presents Andy Griffiths at Christchurch Grammar School. Andy Griffiths is the Australian children's author of numerous books, including The Day My Bum Went Psycho and the incredibly popular Treehouse series. In Perth to launch the latest Treehouse book, The 117-Story Treehouse, Andy Griffiths spoke to Scribblers podcaster Gabe about his wife Jill, illustrator Terry Denton, books, cats, Monty Python, art imitating life, and singing in a punk rock band. We join Gabe and Andy immediately following the book launch at Christchurch Grammar School, where it appears a robot battle has just taken place. Welcome, Andy, to Scribblers Festival at Christchurch Grammar School. Thank you very much. I'm Gabe. It's nice to meet you today. Good to meet you. Um, well, to start off with, we've just come from one of your talks to plenty of kids who'd like to watch you. Yep. And you had a robot battle, is that correct? That's with, correct. Yeah. Representatives of you, um, Terry and Jill. Jill. And you won, is that correct? That is correct. Even though my proxy, uh, who was playing me, uh, was at the total disadvantage that he didn't have laser um, arms and he didn't have sonic blasting. Sonic blasters, yeah. All he had was a terribly pathetic little super soaker water pistol. And well, yet yeah. he won. And you still won, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, how was the method used to announce that win? PowerPoint, right? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Was Pre, that a PowerPoint, pre-programmed Andy? PowerPoint because I knew I would win. That doesn't seem very Andy fair now, the, does it? I think it was very fair. I think if you've read the books, was you'll know Andy is the most intelligent, problem-solving hero that the you know, literature and the world have ever of seen. Of course, that's why he's so, the main character. Yes. Yeah. So there was no way he was ever going to lose. So I thought I'll just put the slide. Also in. compensates for his lack of sonic blasters. Only yes. a pitiful gun. But I think what you're getting at is that Andy is not an entirely reliable or honest kind mm. of uh, fair sort of person, and I would <laughs> agree with you. He, uh, he is. That's part of why he's such fun to write. Yeah. No, uh, he's partly based on me, but he's also an incredible egomaniac <laughs> who thinks he's the greatest and that Terry is the worst. Why um, wouldn't he? Yeah, well, and and because that's where you get the, the dramatic tension. And I had a lot of fun in the 78-storey treehouse when they were going to make a film of the, the book, Big Shot, Mr yeah. Big Shot, the Hollywood director, came. And Andy naturally assumes he's going to be the star, but then Terry runs across the set with his pants on fire and Andy <laughs> gets sidelined out of the whole movie. Yeah. And I thought that really serves Andy right because now Aunt Terry is becoming... You'd think so. Well, while we're on the topic of movies, yep. I've heard that you actually wouldn't want one of your books to be made into a movie. Is that right? Um, I've been very wary about it. And, and in fact, in that book, you see Hollywood come in and turn the treehouse idea into a ridiculous action movie. That yeah. has very little relation to anything that goes on in the books. And that's been my worry about turning it into a film. So um, we are talking to people at the moment um, who are coming forward with ideas mm-hmm. and when we find the right person that we know really gets it and, and we can trust with it, we, we probably will but uh, we haven't been in a hurry to do that. Yeah. So if you were to have any one of your books made into a movie, which one would you choose? I think the 78-storey treehouse makes a really good that one dramatic one? shape because it's, you know, the books are about... Um, us trying to write a book 
but failing along the way and then that's what becomes the book. Uh, the movie, the 78 story is us trying to make a movie. So that would be mm. that would suggest to me that a movie could be. Yes, um, it's a movie in a movie. Um, yeah, and there's a play of the books too that tours Australia and that's Andy and Terry trying to put on a play that they haven't finished and they're <laughs> trying to make it up in front of the audience. So Well, that sounds great. Well, I would like to ask you, what's up with your quite constant theme of butts? It's almost <laughs> in every book. You've got The Day My Butt Went Psycho, Zombie uh-huh. Bums from Uranus, yeah. uh, Bum Again in the Final Conflict, What Bum I Saw Is That? And that's just to name a few. That's just four books out of the 30 books that we've done. Exactly. And occasionally the butts creep into the other books. We have <laughs> the exploding underpants in this book. Exactly. Um but I think early on I realised that whenever we'd say the word butt or bum in Australia is more common, uh, people would laugh. They would just laugh. And, and when I started talking about a boy's bum that re- that jumped off his body and ran away and he had to go and chase it, yeah, uh, kids loved this story. So I started thinking I could write a really long kind of action thriller uh, that's kind of like a serious action thriller based on the ridiculous idea of bums trying to take over the world. And it's really and, paid off. Yeah, it was something that would get kids to read an entire 50,000 word novel <laughs> uh, and be able to laugh on every page. So so it started off as a joke, became serious. And, um, and then I started, after that, started writing books without bums and without kind of so much uh, kind of, you know, transgressive, rude humour. So we did really nice books like uh, The Cat on the Matter's Flat and The Big Fat Cow and uh, Schooling Around series, very gentle. Yeah. And then The Treehouse came out of that and blended um, a little bit of the violence and the rudeness of the earlier books with some of the sweetness and the gentleness of the later books. And I think that's why Treehouse has become the most popular series we've ever done because it's got a bit of everything. So when you started writing, did you think your books would always be away from the more PC side or did that just kind of happen as it went along? It was very natural to me to write things that kind of shocked people a little bit because I'm trying to make them laugh and and one of the ways to make someone laugh is to say something outrageous and they go, yeah, and then they... the, the the shock releases as laughter. Wow. <laughs> um, so that's always been in me to say something outrageous and I say it in a very serious kind of voice. So people have to put they get there's a moment of confusion and then erupts as laughter. Yeah, and the emotion yeah. comes but through. It was very useful too because the things I loved reading as a kid were always a little bit out there. They were often funny and they were often entertaining very silly ideas. And I just thought, well, I don't think kids have changed that much since I was a kid and yet no one was writing really what I thought was silly books. So you played off your own childhood experience? Totally, totally. I wanted to write, channel the the kind of books that I loved and give kids a feeling of the the freedom and the excitement um, that I felt uh, when I read the books I loved into modern days. So they borrow from Enid Blight and Cat on the Matter... the cat in the hat, you know, I keep making fun yeah. of that book. Um, cat in the Hat and uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Oh, yeah. I had these great horror comics that weren't great literature but really well-told stories of monsters and mad scientists. Uh, all of that I'm bringing into these books. 
Well, um, I'd like to play a game, a little game with you right now. Is that mm. all right? Sure. So as long I'm as it doesn't involve numbers, because you no. know I can't count to ten. No, it's a word game, yeah. so that's all good. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I'm going to say one word, and you've got to say the first word that comes to mind. I'm sure you've heard of it. All right. Yes. For free right. association. Are right, you ready? Yep. Music. Punk rock. Vacation. Uh, Wilson's Promontory National Park. <laughs> Colour. Red. Career. Writer. Car. Um, <laughs> red Mini Minor, my first car. <laughs> animal. Dog. Is that your favourite animal? Yeah, I think uh, dogs are a lot of fun. They're kind of loopy, enthusiastic animals that love love life and will chase cars and try to bite their tyres. So. Yeah. yeah, I had a dog called Sooty, who's in all yeah. the Just books, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a dog called Sooty and a cat called Silky in real life. That's right. Yeah. And they both have ended up in your books. Yes. Yeah. Um, when did you get the idea to put them in your books like that? Um, one of the ways I've told stories is always to um, uh, just use what's around me and start off very reasonably and um, tell a story that appears to be based in reality and then gradually move outwards from that. So, yeah. um, so that having a... We had Silky, who was a particularly annoying cat, I must <laughs> admit, and, um, and would often bite or scratch us. Is that his fault, though? Uh, well, well the, the true story is uh, we, had, we got this Burmese cat uh, who was f fun and thought it was half a dog. It used to run around <laughs> the street and run up trees and it loved being outside and we, we were in a house that was great for that. It could get out and play in the backyard. Yeah. Then we moved to a three-storey townhouse opposite a park where everyone walked their dogs and it wasn't such a great place for a cat to play. Mm. And uh, so she became very depressed and kind of unhappy at that place. The three-storey townhouse being one of the inspirations for the treehouse because we'd be working on the second storey as if we were up in a tree. Um, but Silky was not happy and we said, let's, let's find a new home for her where she can go and play with other cats and be happier. So she left during the writing of 13-storey treehouse and I felt that was a way of saying goodbye to her, that Silky flies away with the, and joins a nest of other flying cats. <laughs> In real life, she went to live with two, uh, a woman who had two other cats and they had a dedicated cat bedroom and a cat gymnasium. Wow. So that's why you see her go to live with these other flying cats. Yeah, so it's a see, representation. There's real life saying goodbye to a cat, but then it's transmitted into the, the fiction as a ridiculous thing where cat yeah. flies away, literally. But the emotion <laughs> is true. Yeah. So before you were an author, you were a taxi driver in a band and an English writer. Is that yeah. right? An English teacher. English teacher. Yes. Right. Yeah, I did a variety of jobs. Um, I was always writing, even from a little kid, I was always writing something. And that, that led me into bands. I would write lyrics and then I was the one who'd written them so I had to get yeah. up and sing them. Not that I was a great singer, but um, I was good at entertaining the crowd. Yeah. Um, would you say that writing music is like writing books? Uh, very, very similar. I think of my, my books, um, particularly, you know, there's a lot of verse and poetry in the Treehouse series. Yeah. They're like miniature songs. And I think of the whole... I think of a book as like a record album. 
there's there's certain chapters that are like the songs and um, it's all got to hold together. And I listen to an enormous amount of music when I'm um, writing and I'm sort of grabbing the energy from that music and channeling it into the the books so yeah. and I and I loved punk rock when I was growing up that was so exciting and I think in some of my books you can see they are punk rock the bad book and the very bad book uh like my punk rock album books and yeah and um the uh the trees treehouse a little more mainstream well I've read on your website that you uh used to get lots of rejection before you were first published um what tips do you have on how to deal with rejection um, I I would write things that I found personally amusing and I would run them past friends and when I was an English teacher I would read them out to the class um, and I would make little self-published books, photocopy them and cut the pages and have these little books and people were really enjoying them and they, they thought they were very funny and nutty and kind of unusual. And when I started sending those to publishers, the publish some publishers liked them, others didn't understand them at all. And that's a feature of humour. Um, uh, often a new type of humour is hard for people to understand because they don't know the rules of the yeah. humour. But when you learn the humour, then it becomes increasingly funny. And I loved Monty Python, the comedy troupe, as I was yeah, growing same. up. Um, they were new when, when I was 12. They came on the television and we were like, whoa, this is the funniest thing yeah, we've ever Yeah, they were seen. just so out there against their current time. Yes. That it was just crazy. And they were not popular to begin with because people didn't understand them because mm. they were inventing a new style. And they almost got cancelled after their first season. So yeah. I knew all this. I knew that when I came out with this more crazy style of writing that people might not understand it or, or work out what it is. But I didn't let that put me off because I had enough success. I knew my, my kids at school were laughing. I was selling these books at markets. So I just went, well, you didn't get it. But it doesn't mean that the, the material is bad. Just means I haven't found the right publisher yeah. yet. So. so, when you have a new story, who is the first person you go to show it to? Uh, that'll be Jill. Jill, yeah. and then Jill will will hear the idea before I've even written the story. I'll say, "What do you think about a story where Andy and Terry and Jill have to look after Mr. Big Nose's grandchildren?" And mm. I just, oh, that's all I'll say. And I can see her go, "Oh yeah, that'd be so funny. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to read that story." So I go, "Okay, well, I'll start developing it." Um, so it's backwards and forwards, often just me telling the story to begin with and pitch what's called pitching the story to someone and just seeing if they're engaged in it. And, if and they just are, lets you play off what they're giving back to you. Yeah, and Jill will say, oh, yeah, that would be fun. One of them should be a baby and, um, mm. and I'll go, oh, well, I want to... Um, I've got a whirlpool idea. Wouldn't it be funny if the baby went down the whirlpool and we all had to dive down after it? Yeah. And then I can use my submarine sandwich that I've been wanting to use. So yeah, yeah. I always have all these ideas in in ready to go and when the right plot comes up and the right dramatic situation, I can go, ah, I can, now I can get that submarine yeah. sandwich and it's kind of logical. But, yeah, Jill is the frontline audience, the frontline editor, and uh, and then Terry will be the second person who yeah. has to do some drawings. And if he likes it, I can tell because his drawings will be funny and imaginative. If he doesn't like it, the drawings will be a little flat. 
And so yeah. I will often rewrite the story. So you can sometimes tell what he's thinking, yes. even if he's not telling you outright. Yeah, and in fact a good example of that is when the baby and the kids went down under the ocean and we had to rescue them in the submarine sandwich, originally they were going to be kidnapped by Mermaidia, the mermaid who <laughs> got... Um, flushed down the toilet in the first book. She was going to get revenge and it was oh. this complicated revenge story under the ocean. And he, and Terry's drawings were, yeah, they were okay but they weren't really captivating me or Jill. Yeah. And I said to Jill, I don't think he's really into this story. And she said, me neither. It's boring. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why didn't anyone tell me? And she said, well, yeah. you were so fixed. You just It was, <laughs> seems like such a good idea. So I said, let's get rid of him, Amadia. And we'll just go for a nice, we'll, we'll rescue the children and then we'll have a nice enjoyable trip through the ocean. Yeah. And so then um, it all the chapter came alive. So that's a little um, glimpse as to how the stories get shaped and reworked until everyone is happy. Yeah, just by focusing on your feedback. You've, yes, exactly. Not, not, not letting them tell me exactly what to do, but in the end we all get what we want. Yeah, so it looks like we're almost out of time today. Um, final question. If you could just give one tip to any aspiring authors listening in the crowd, what would it be? Read as many books as you possibly can because that will form your library of ideas that you can borrow and make your own. Yeah. So, um, yeah, reading, number one. And, and if, if I could have one more, it would be write a little bit every day just yeah. in a little writing journal, five minutes, five or ten minutes, something that happened at school, a funny joke someone told you, an embarrassing thing that happened to a member of your family, uh, a book that you read, practice mm. the writing but read like crazy. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today. It's been a great pleasure interviewing you. It's been a pleasure being interviewed by you. You're extremely well-researched well, uh, and a great, great interviewer. This interview was recorded at Christchurch Grammar School for Scribblers Festival. For more podcasts in the Scribblers Festival series, head to scribblersfestival.com.au.